Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I am joined by Dan Fagella. And Dan is the CEO and founder of Emerge. You're going to learn a lot more about what they do in just a moment. But if I was to summarize, you know, they are covering market research for the AI space, the AI industry, if you will. If there even is, is, is there, Dan, an AI industry? And by the way, welcome to the program. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Glad to be here, David. Um, there, there isn't quite an AI industry unless you want to call kind of the tangential services and events right now that have the, the label of AI, but it's it's very much should be seen as a a technology shift that's melting into all the other industries. So there, there isn't quite, but it still sums up what we do pretty well. Nice. All right. Well, before we geek out on AI and talk about that, I want to talk about something that we didn't talk about, uh, and that is jujitsu. So are you cool talking a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, man. Let's go for it, bro. All right. So uh, for those that don't know, Dan is a uh, wait, world champion, right? Black belt? Uh, I, I won the, the, the Pan Ahems uh, back in, in 20, uh, yeah, 2011. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Congrats. And uh, so I had never done jujitsu. People know that I build and race drones. And one of the guys that I build and race drones with, uh, a good buddy of mine, Bill, he said to me around the first of the year, he's like, hey, if you ever want to come to jujitsu class and check it out, you know, kind of join me. So I went up uh, with him, just, sir, I'll, I'll learn something new, kind of like what we're going to do here on the program today. Yeah. And uh, my first experience was really painful. And uh, it started off really good. But, you know, they, I, I'm so goal-oriented. There was a point where we were just kind of rolling around on the mat. And I said, so what, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Like, is, am I supposed to get you in a certain hold or are we exercising or whatever? Like, what's the end game? And he goes, well, you know, normally if you're competing, it's some type of submission. I'm like, well, what, what is that involved? And, and he demonstrated, you know, a chokehold on me. And my throat still hurts to this day. That's like four or five days later. So I, I don't think I had a good experience. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's not the right way to treat a white belt. Yeah, if you go to, my guess is that's a gym that maybe has like, 60 or at max like 90 people i mean if you tell me that that's a gym that has 300 students i'll be surprised does not no yeah okay there you go so when you go to your little back office gritty garage gyms you will get brand new people who have a wife and kids just get the the snot beaten out of them uh on day one um but if you go to a place that's a successful business um they're not just a business because they're good at sales and by the way they're much better at sales but they're a good business because uh they know how to take someone with a wife and kids, uh, namely those would be like people that might be able to continue to pay for classes. Unlike let's say college kids with a lot of tattoos. Um, <laughs> by the way, I sold to both and, and, and I, I had a ton of college kids in, in my gym, but, um, but yeah, they know, they know how to make those people comfortable. So the, the fact that it's not a big gym doesn't surprise me. I hope you weren't hurt too bad, but it's a shame that that was your first experience. It was my first experience, probably my last, but, um, yeah, well that, that'll do it, man. That that's, that's not the, they didn't intro you right. I'll tell no, you, there's some no. people that do well, it much not, better. But. Yeah. Well, no, no chokeholds today, brother. Just, it, no. just jujitsu. So I won't hurt you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, but congrats on that. I started karate when I was, uh, I think, started when I was 15 years old and did that for several years. And really, really, yeah, I really liked the martial arts and like the, the discipline of it. Um, all right. Well, let's jump into uh, AI. Um, just so you guys know, you know, Dan uh, really knows the marketplace. He's written for TechCrunch. 
the Boston Business Journal, um, Venture Beat. He has spoken for the United Nations, World Bank, uh, done some TEDx talks, and spoke at uh, Stanford, MIT, and Harvard. So he knows his subject matter very well. And the reason that I want to have him on the program is if you listen to Demand Gen Radio, you know that last year, or there were some episodes where I focused on AI in like areas like um, for content and for lead scoring. And so I thought it'd be good to have someone who really understands the field and talk about some of the trends and what to expect in specifically in marketing and advertising, Dan, you know, because that's mostly the audience for Demand Gen Radio. But of course, we're seeing um, AI show up uh, a little bit of, of everywhere uh, these days. Um, so what happened? You know, it's like the last couple of years, all of a sudden, boom, this, this two-letter acronym uh, and technology emerges. Um, well, great name for your company, right? Emerge. Um, what, what, what happened all of a sudden? Was it a technology thing or was it a, somebody who figured out some algorithms or computing power, combination of things? Like what all of a sudden put AI on the map? Yep. So what put AI, I guess what we're saying when we say on the map, the way I think about that is on the radar of people like yourself or just marketing folks out there in the field, kind of, you know, people that maybe aren't scientists. How does how did it become relevant for business in general? Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Um, it's, it's often said that there's kind of three forces here. It's said that uh, the availability of data, which is obviously proliferating. I mean, we're on a marketing and advertising show. Obviously, this is a sector that's been overhauled pretty thoroughly in the last 50 years. And even just, let's say, the last 20 years with with just the quantifiability and uh, the, the various and sundry streams of data and behavioral stuff and CRMs and marketing automation, all the ways that we can drink in data, analytics, website stuff. Um, so, so the increased avail- availability of data is one thing. The increased kind of computing power uh, that, that we have at our hands now um, and the popularity of some of these basic strategies of, of machine learning, kind of these, these algorithms that have been developed. For the most part, I think most people that are in the science side of it will tell you that there hasn't been since maybe, uh, you know, th- there was a bunch of stuff with deep learning that was very interesting, but that basic machine learning, the, the, the fundamental principles of machine learning that might be applied in pharma or in uh, marketing, you know, applications, some, some of them might have exceptions, but a lot of them it's kind of stuff that's been around for decades and the scientists maybe didn't even realize it had that much value and they were tinkering with it in different ways. And there's some folks that luckily were in that field for a long time. Many of them were in Canada. So the algorithms, not so much, but the computing power and the availability of data uh, and the ability that people now know how to use these, that there's such a proliferation of the, the knowledge of the algorithms. Those are big forces. One thing that I think is often left out, David, is that the biggest and most exciting, fast growing companies in the world are indeed now predicated on artificial intelligence. So if we look at the the AI hype from like the 80s, cool, it was there, but were we really able to say that the most sexy and exciting companies in the Fortune 500 were leveraging AI in a powerful way to dominate their sectors? The answer is no. Can we say that today? The answer is yes. Facebook, Google, Amazon, Netflix. uh, I mean, you know, a lot of these, and, and then we go to China, it's the same deal. The, the, the dominators are doing it with this same data dynamic that we're describing. So I think what's honestly gotten us on, it on the map, you know, as much as those other factors that everybody talks about is the fact that we all look up to the sexy, cool, fast-growing, gargantuan companies and Mr. Bezos and, and the rest of that, and those guys are riding this wave hard. So really there's a little bit, of peer, little bit of peer pressure going on there. You wrote uh, an article about, you know, using um, 
like in retail stores, setting up machine learning and cameras and microphones and companies that do that, which I found really fascinating because when I was studying marketing back in college, uh, we did some field work where we went to supermarkets and we're talking about just behavioral science and you know, that when people enter in a shopping mall, the number and percentage of them that go left in the shopping mall versus right, same thing in a movie theater. So they think about where point of purchase displays go and the eye levels and so much, you know, behavioral yeah, science and neuroscience yeah. goes in. And that was all people just watching, you know, uh, and, and observing and, and, you know, it was all data that was being captured by individuals monitoring that. And now, right, we've got the ability, uh, as you wrote about, for for cameras to do all that research and, and studying, and you know learn learn from that. So, you know, I always think about AI in terms of, like I said, for the past couple of years around digital marketing and using predictive yep. content, using you know right time, right place uh, marketing, as well as uh, aspects of lead scoring. And and I did a podcast that will either air before this one or after this one with uh, Mike from Bambora on intent. And, um, you know, the, the technology that, you know, tracks whether companies are surging, you know, in particular topics of, of interest. So, you know, you're really watching AI used across so many areas. Is there one marketplace or industry that seems to really, you know, get it and it's now table stakes in that yep. industry or still emerging? All day, yeah. So let's let's talk about that. So your audience is marketers. So let's just talk about marketing. Where is AI gaining traction in marketing? Um, the good news is, uh, David, I do have a lot of anecdotal evidence from, let's say, hundreds of interviews in, in the AI and marketing space over the last uh, four and a half years. But we also have some pretty robust research on this. So we, we interviewed something like 50, I think it was over 50 companies in the AI and marketing space. So people selling AI-based products into the marketing world, enhancing the marketing process and function within a business, uh, and ask them sort of, who are you targeting? Who are you selling to? And there's an overwhelming preponderance of these folks. And this is still the case today. So we, we, you know, discovered this as a major trend when we did this kind of meta analysis, I want to say, uh, a year and a half ago, but mm -hmm. the, the, the trend continues where it is a lot of e-commerce and online media folks that are really able to make the most of artificial intelligence uh, in the marketing function. And there's a few reasons. So when I say e-commerce, yes, that means Amazon, but it also means the smaller folks like Wayfair. When I say media, yes, I mean Facebook, but I also mean the smaller folks like, let's say, BuzzFeed. Um, so online media and e-commerce are the biggest. Um, retail, like brick and mortar retail, is like third in line. And then we start to get into like maybe financial services and whatnot. Uh, but but honestly, those those two, media and e-commerce, are, are the biggest and the baddest uh, for very good reason. Happy to go into those, those reasons, if you like, um, in terms of kind of why they're, they're seeing the traction they are. What I'd love to do is, is think about like, is, is AI or, and discuss whether is AI an ingredient to what we're doing in marketing and advertising or are these platforms we need to go take a look at? You mentioned, you know, folks like Amazon, you know, Jeff's got, Jeff's got the budgets and the, the funding to, develop some of their own in-house technology. In fact, of when course, they develop yeah. the AI stuff, you can go and, and sign up for AWS and host applications and websites up there and, and actually get AI capabilities as part of that hosting service. But for you know folks that are CMOs, VPs of marketing, heads of demand generation, or in marketing operations, where are they going to access AI technologies to apply to their jobs and their roles? Yep. Um, so the for the most part, uh, there's a lot to get into here. So for the most part, folks who are in smaller companies are are not. Uh, I, I can kind of break this out in in 
two ways, roughly. There's many more segments we could bust this out into, but let's just talk about this broadly. There's kind of two, two sides of coin here. There are, um, there's vendor solutions, and then there's kind of quote unquote doing AI. And under vendor solutions, there's, there's kind of twofold. There's, there's um, drop dead, easy vendor solutions, and there's, you're gonna need to be really smart vendor solutions. So, so let me explain what I mean. Yeah. If you're a company, if you're a company, you're a marketer, all right? I don't care what you're selling. You're, you're selling uh, uh, ETFs for a bank or something. You're, you're, you're selling vacuum cleaners. Um, you're a marketer. Uh, if, if your business doesn't have a robust bench of existing data science talent, very strong, robust bench of people with powerful data science skills, then for the most part, your firm will be in the near term relegated to using kind of uh, uh, tool level vendor solutions. That is to say things that make AI invisible. So uh, let me give you an example, David, and I use this one all the time. Marketing automation. Your audience will be very familiar with marketing automation. Oh, yeah. I come from that world as well. Infusionsoft and Pardot and all those tools and, and really getting fancy with those. Um, if it was 1999, to be able to do everything that, let's say, Infusionsoft or, or, or HubSpot or something can do now, you would be like some kind of crazy super genius, right? You'd have to be, you'd have to know how to code everything. You'd, you'd be the, the schmanciest far out wizard coder in the universe. But now you can take someone right out of college, drop them behind HubSpot, say, figure it out. We need landing pages and we need this automation to kick to these people. We need a broadcast to go to these people. And they can just drag and drop stuff and kind of call it a day. You see yep. what I'm saying? Yep. So for them, the wizard coding is done. It's all over. Now, why is it all over? Well, I'll tell you. It's all over because somebody figured out the use case and, and did the hard coding and then made it saleable. But it, the, the technology, uh, David, also had time to mature and splash its way up against users. So HubSpot is not the only show in town. Marketo is there. Pardot's there. Uh, uh, all, all the players, all the players that are in that game are in that game, uh, you know, Eloqua and whatnot. And, and they're all learning from each other. They're all seeing who's acquiring customers. They're all seeing who's launching new features. And so between competition and between splashing use cases against users, we start to learn how can we make something so simple that someone out of a college with an English degree can be told, figure it out, and basically build out robust marketing campaigns with no coding knowledge. But David, that, that took a long time, right? To go from oh, yeah. wizards to where HubSpot is today. And the fact of the matter is AI is for wizards today. If you don't have a big bench of wizards right. and a large uh, and a large uh, pool of hyper accessible, powerfully useful data, which you, you almost certainly don't have if you don't have a huge bench of wizards, you are going to need the tech that the wizards handle it and then they give it to you without you really having to do anything very complicated. Now, some would say that that might be pessimist, but most of those people, David, are vendors and they want to sell you something. Yeah. Um, and, and so if we're honest here, um, if you don't have a bench and you think you're going to do something beyond take a tech where all the complicated stuff happens in the back end without you having to pretty your little mind about it, um, you are generally at the present time, the beginning of 2019, fooling yourself. Yeah. Uh, this is the lay of the land. We can go into these harsh realities. I'm not here to tell everybody why they should jump into AI and use it. It's going to happen. It's going to hit you whether you want it to or not, but it's not going to be tomorrow. Correct. Uh, we can talk about those dynamics. Let me know what, what's useful here. Yeah, it's 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 not if. It's just when um, I wrote a blog post, and it was all about data operations. And what I said, Dan, was that I'm not calling these folks data scientists, data operations managers. Um, I, I prefer to use the term data operations manager because I – I really feel that they belong in marketing operations and the data scientist moniker is like you said, like 
these are the first people that are grabbing hold of this knowledge and technology and applying it to these. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're going to hire a data scientist, which we started hiring data scientists um, like Rick Zagora on my team, you know, years ago, three, four years ago. Uh, In fact, I wrote a post on LinkedIn and also on our blog called The Rise of the Data Scientist. And when I wrote that article, I had no idea that it would um, go as let's call it viral as 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 it went, where you know you know five tens of thousands of, of of views right away of this article and a lot of comments about it. And I'm like, ooh, I've struck a chord. And then later that night, uh, my daughter at that time uh, she was into dance. She's now in college and still dances, but she was you know in a dance group that we would go. And I was um, talking with uh, one of the other parents, and she's like, you know, I'm going to switch my career. And I said, really? Wow, that's that's great. I mean, she's probably in her late 40s, early 50s. I said, what are you doing? She goes, I'm going to go become a data scientist. And I just didn't expect her to say that while we're backstage lo- loading furniture onto the, uh, you know, for the dance program. And I said, so what's what's doing? And she goes, well, I've always had a love and passion for data, for analytics. She's like, I love spreadsheets. I love databases. I love transforming and manipulating data. And so it made me think a lot about the persona and and who would be someone to really understand data and machine learning. But to your point, like that kind of early type of persona uh, in this space is not going to be the mainstream persona. And I think for a lot of kids going to school today or coming into the workforce, becoming masters of, of data and analytics and insights and, and certainly how to apply AI and machine learning technologies or tools to the workplace, you've, you've got some superpowers. And if, if that's you, go do it because you probably can write your ticket in terms of your career for a long, long time. And if you start now, you'll be way ahead of the pack. Who's going to learn and figure this out uh, much later? What, what do you think in terms of career paths? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think there's going to be different. I'm actually releasing a series of articles about this uh, called the AI zeitgeist. In other words, how is the way we're thinking about AI going to change? AI talent, I think, is going to be a very different thing in five years than it is now. And in a fast moving space like your audience, if they're particularly if they're in e-commerce or or they're in uh, online media, but even if they're just in, you know, heavy duty digital marketing, um, it, it's going to hit there, you know, sooner than than most places. Uh, it, talent is, is going to be seen in a different light. And, and I'll explain what I mean. Yes, we'll still have wizards. Wizards will be needed for a kind of deeper set of things than, than they're currently needed for today. We, we need a lot of wizards are rebuilding the same functionality a billion times in every new company because there isn't enough productized stuff at this point. There, there will be a lot of uh, osmosis between subject matter expertise and fundamental understandings of how to leverage data and how to leverage algorithms. There will be people, there will be people in a marketing organization who are exceptionally valuable, in fact, get paid more than hardcore AI programmers because they understand what, in terms of the marketing and the metrics, makes money, which that ain't going out of style anytime soon. Uh, so they understand that. But they also understand um, the requirements of data, the quality of data and the kinds of algorithms, approaches, and time horizons that they might need to solve different problems with AI. So they know how to marshal, to some degree, the, the data science squadrons, as well as the marketing folks and the, the people designing the front-end websites and whatever else. They can actually marshal them. Right now, the data scientists sit cold and lonely, and the big marketing boss doesn't know what to say to them, and they don't know what to say to the big marketing boss. And that is like 80% of our problem. That does not get solved overnight. I hope a lot more events crop up. I hope a lot more online learning crop 
pops up. And I hope a lot of people get to learn side by side from data scientists so that subject matter experts kind of bleed into this world and data scientists bleed into their, their area of subject matter expertise. That is a time problem and it is one that everybody is frustrated with. But, but uh, I will say that it won't just be the data scientists making the big bucks. If you're, a, if you're a big fella in marketing and you know how to conceptually leverage all these things, you might be making a lot more than the people doing the code. Let, let me ask you this. Advice for marketing leaders, CMOs, VPs of marketing, marketing operation heads. What should they be doing in terms of staffing their organizations in 2019 and beyond? Like, Is there, is there a yeah. specific role that they're hiring for? Is there a set of skills and, and training they need to provide to their teams? Um, you know, For those folks listening to the program, they're thinking, okay, how much expertise and what type of expertise do I need to have on my team, whether it's you know, B2B marketers or even uh, B2C marketers? And we definitely have seen, I've seen more AI adoption and use in B2C marketing over B2B, and that's because I think the B2C just always leads B2B um, a bit. But what do, what do you think in terms of staffing and resourcing, training, and that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's really tough to set out general proxies here. I'd say if you are, if you are leading... So I can say some things with relative certainty and then others I'm just going to add a bunch of caveats, but there is meat to be shared here. So um, if you're leading marketing teams and you're not like a mom and pop shop anymore, you know, you're leading a reasonably substantial team. Maybe you got, you know, a dozen or more folks in in kind of the digital marketing uh, function. Um, You should be staying abreast of what's happening here. Um, More so than press releases, you should be understanding what's actually working. And probably the best thing to have a pulse on is to look at the the companies that are 10 or 50 times bigger than yours and to see where, if anywhere, they're leveraging AI that could be useful. So understand the conceptual kind of foundations of artificial intelligence. You can totally do that on the side. This is not like a carve out six weeks and take time off of work to do it. It's like Stay on it. Get an understanding of the value of data. Get an understanding of of sort of the fundamental capabilities of these technologies, um, and and kind of what's working. I, I already mentioned the the marketing research that we've done in terms of the the full kind of splay of AI and marketing. Happy to put that in the show notes. So get get a conceptual grasp. Keep a pulse on it. But look at look at the folks that are significantly bigger than you, one or two orders of magnitude bigger than you, and ask, you know, is it even starting to hit the ground running with them? And if the answer is holy jeepers, totally not, then the likelihood of you being able to innovate with vastly less budget and probably vastly less um, uh, data science, data engineer type talent um, is pretty rough. And and so a lot of people are going to jump the gun on kind of toy AI applications or hire AI people thinking that they can be wizards and transform a company. Probably your best proxies, and I I hate how follow the herd this sounds, but if I only got one damn soundbite, David – if the people two orders of magnitude above you don't even have a lick of AI in there and you don't have a fat bench of data science talent, don't worry too much about marshalling money to doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, just make sure you can conceptually grasp it so that when the time comes and there's an appropriate strategy that emerges, you're not a deer in the headlights. You have a sense of what direction do we go. But for the most part, the direction should be learn. Um, and if you have other higher ups in your marketing department, make sure they learn as well, get a pulse of the reality of the space. But I wouldn't jump the gun and say, let's start buying up AI folks for fun yet. I'm just not there. Maybe I'm a not there. early. Yep. Well, and I think uh, you mentioned marketing automation and MarTech and, you know, MarTech industries, what, 20, 30 billion dollar um, industry. There's there's plenty of money. There's plenty of tools. And some of the platforms that you mentioned earlier, you know, are widely now used by 
you know, small, medium, and large size organizations. And you think about like let's let's talk about like a Marketo marketing automation uh, system, HubSpot, you know, any of these systems. They right now require a level of um, configuration and programming that is kind of educated guesswork, right? So let's say I have a conference coming up and I want to get butts in seats and I want to market to that. So in today's day and age, for the most part, I've got to go in and configure my segment. Who should I invite to this? So there's a you know, educated guesswork element right there. And then I should think about, okay, am I sending them one invite, two invite, three invite? What's the magic number of right um, invitations and think about that programming flow. What's the wait time in between all of those different uh, sends? What's the time of day that I should be sending that? And you know, the landing page. How many fields should I put on that form, if any? Uh, and so, lots of different decisions that go into the mechanics of a program. You know, how long will it be? Right till marketing automation takes a lot of that educated guesswork and says, okay, you want to invite people to this conference. You know, you put in some parameters and go, okay, this is now, I've, I've built you an audience of people that you should target for it. Okay, great. And then, you know, how many invitations to send? Uh, don't worry about it. The system will figure out, you know, when to do it. And, and when the invitations get sent should also be based on, you know, when does David Lewis read his emails? Uh, what time of the day? What day of the week? You know, I know from my podcast, for example, I know the days of the week, and you, you know, uh, Dan runs a podcast as well. So, you know, Dan, if you're using the tools... I know what are the best hours of the week and best days of the week for listeners if I want to um, you know, publish at that time. But then there, there was it, right? If I want to publish um, you know, the program at that time. So we've got to take all this manual labor out of engagement marketing and let systems that have way more data and machine learning um, apply uh, you know, what we need to get done to our, to our jobs rather than just thinking through all these different steps. And I'd like to see marketing automation become you know, marketing orchestration and so that you're using these, these platforms for you know, truly just engagement marketing and you know, putting together programs and systems that are going to help you achieve your goals instead of just, they're still very, almost like software, they're still very programmatic. Yep. So you're painting a vision of the future. Uh, can I just riff with you on yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. Cool, cool. So I like where you're headed, um, and you are right that some of what we are thinking about in a somewhat iffy way may be sort of clarified by these systems uh, in the future. I do think that the future of software, so sort of everything IT, you know, not maybe everything is maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but a, a really robust amount of everything IT, particularly that has a user interface, will will in the future involve some degree of AI. How fast that happens will differ in different spaces. I don't think marketing automation is going to be the slowest sector for innovation there. We've covered email marketing and marketing automation and sort of the companies that are bringing AI into that world uh, in great depth. Um, in the future, I think that prompting people to sort of help them do what they're trying to do um, maybe automating steps that they have to do many times over, maybe suggesting the things that they're trying to do to sort of help them navigate through the system and make these somewhat arbitrary strategic decisions. Um, these are things that I think systems in general will help prompt people to do within and without the uh, inside and outside the world of, of marketing automation. Um, the stuff that's still going to be tough um, is those functions and features that involve leveraging our own data. So uh, the cool thing is that if I sell um, let's say I sell, I don't know, uh, clothing to women 
you know, like young women or something, uh, which I, I certainly don't. And God, I couldn't imagine anything I, I probably am less likely to do. But let's just say that that's what I do on the Internet. Um, then uh, there's probably thousands and thousands of companies doing exactly that. And there's going to be some company that, that builds a recommendation engine that can be attached to email systems and to social systems and to, to kind of on-site content recommendation that can basically say, you plug in your SKUs, we use AI to scan the, the products and their descriptions and get a, a rough kind of estimate of them. And then we can actually just come up with recommendations that most of the time are going to make you more money than you currently make because you're doing something that we've drunken in so much data about selling to that crowd of people, selling clothing to, to relatively young women, women under 40, let's say, um, that, that we we can basically bump people's revenue by just plugging in. That, that will happen. We will have the, the big data pools drunk up by the vendors, and they'll be able to feed it to the little guys who don't have the data to do it by themselves. Uh, but, David, there will be companies – who are working on something a little bit more niche or that these kind of plug and play, we trained it on other people's systems systems don't, don't exactly work for them. In that case, they are going to have to go through a lot of the, you know, I wish there was a way around it, the grind of organizing, orchestrating, streamlining their data infrastructures and having enough of that data and having people to wield that data. So many companies are just going to be able to use a more powerful version of HubSpot and they don't even know or care that AI is involved. That's kind of the tool level. Many people, are still going to need some semblance of at least data engineering and, and real firm data fluency to actually fully use the tools of the future five years into the future. Now, the good news is a lot more people will have those skills. So I'll see, I think we'll have a good deal of both. I do think that your vision will come to life and that the wizards will still be there just doing different things. And it's it's really fueled by, you said this earlier, like computing power and, and the amount of data that's out there. I was taking a ride with my father-in-law over the holidays, and we were talking about self-driving cars. And he was like, so how does that work? You know, how does that actually happen? And I was just saying, well, you know, imagine an algorithm that is right now figuring out based on sensors where everything is around you. And, you know, those objects are moving and they're either moving towards you or away from you or alongside you. And, you know, we were just spending more time riffing on that. And I said, you know, this wouldn't have been possible if we didn't have the computing power in the car to be able to process all this. And, you know, our, our iPhones or Android um, cell phones are, are vastly, they're supercomputers. They're vastly more powerful than the original computers that were when we were launching, you know, men and, and rockets into space, right? So we've got all this great computing power. We're collecting all this this data. Certainly people have a lot of privacy concerns. Um, and so there's that trade-off between, you know, the more the more open you are with your data, in some ways, the more value you can get from AI uh, because, you know, that information that you're either directly or indirectly providing can be used to improve life. I mean, healthcare, right? I mean, that's one of the industries that I think we're going to see a lot of, of AI applications. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take, you know, the, the, the approving governmental committees to enable some of this technology. But, you know, the tricorder, right, is not that far away where I'm going to be able to put a sample of my blood into a device and it's going to tell you, you know, what your propensity is for getting sick and what disease that you currently have and, and all those type of things. And so, you know, that, and a handheld device to do that. Um, shout out to, to Star Trek for being way ahead of their time. So I think it's <laughs> yeah. fascinating. I, I want to thank, as we wrap up, like, you know, Dan, I want to, you know, guys like you and your company don't have to, to do what you do. If, if, um, if you guys are interested in this topic, um, Dan's company's website is emerge.com, E-M-E-R-J.com. And it is just chock full of their research on AI and machine learning and, and VR and AR, you know, 
a lot of great content there. And it, you'll find under the topics, which is where you know I've spent most of my time, is in marketing and advertising. So you can browse the various articles and, and publications that Dan and his team have put out. And so certainly if you're in marketing and advertising, go check that out. But you'll, you'll find a lot of information about other industries. And I think for all of us as business leaders, um, as Dan said, like this is here to stay. This is not if um, we're going to be applying uh, AI. And so the more educated we get, um, the better. And, and sure, it'll be the applications that, um, that come, that are available to us as opposed to us you know, coding up our own uh, AI-based solutions for our businesses. For most of, most of us tuned in, yes, that's right. Are you guys are you guys doing a lot more coverage of of uh, AR and, and and VR as well? Because I have yeah, some actually, on that. we have. There's there's a lot. Well, and you'll see it on the site too. Under that category of marketing and advertising, actually, is a good deal of that. Also, there's another tab under industries called consumer goods, and under consumer goods, we've covered a ton of AR and VR because a lot of this, this computer vision, this sort of generation of of, in, of images or creating of immersive environments, um, is is AI related. And so we've covered a ton of where marketing and retail intersect with AR and VR because there's almost, you know, in, in many cases, there's a strong AI component there. Yeah, for sure. I was uh, spending some time with the folks at Adobe and looking at some demos that they put together with Adidas uh, and just some in-store uh, AR type stuff where, you know, a person can pull up their cell phone and, and point it at a uh, display of shoes and be able to just scanning it uh, for it to be able to say, okay, these are the different products and you can get product information, that type of stuff. And even know if that shoe is in, in inventory at that store, right? So just the whole buying experience has changed. And I think for those of us in B2B, the amount of knowledge, uh, to apply some of these technologies to our client engagement experiences and our customer, uh, experiences, you know, we, we haven't even really thought about, um, yeah, B2B is so be. much slower. Yep. Yeah. It really it's is. so much slower. Yeah. Well, yep. thank you for joining me, my good friend, and for the uh, yeah. tips on jujitsu. I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try it again. Uh, I, I, not not to that place. I, I want to go find somewhere with four hundred students with guys that look exactly like you, with your amount of experience, who are smiling, and then go ahead and walk in. Sounds good. Well, and also right. thank you for your insights on the field of of AI. And again, if uh, you guys want to dive deeper, there's plenty of content. Like I said, on Emerge.com, and uh, Dan runs a podcast as well, which. Um, Morgan, if you're an audio learner, uh, check it out. AI, AI and industry. We cover a ton of marketing stuff. And, and what I'll do, David, as we close out is I'll, I'll fling along kind of the, the meta-analysis that we did of like all the vendor landscape in AI and marketing. Because I think if people want to see the future, that's kind of a cool visual place to see the charts and graphs of where the heck is stuff headed. So I'll, I'll fling that along. Great. Cool. I'll make sure to post that. Cool, man. All right. Well, have a good uh, January. It's, uh, you know, we're just wrapping up the first week of, of the year. And um I know before long, it's it will be one twelfth through the year. It's just it, last year went by so so quickly, and I'm really excited. Uh, some of the conferences are coming up to see what some of the vendors are going to be unfolding because I know they've been working hard on some new solutions. Some of the things that that we certainly talked about today. So it's cool. My best to you and the team, Dan. Have a have a good one. Cool. Thanks, David. All right, and for all of you tuning in, that's going to conclude this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Look forward to chatting with you on the next one. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. <laughs>